As you know, this year, maybe you don't know if you're new here, this year we have been walking through the the Sermon on the Mount. We've been devoting a year's length of time to exploring the, the brilliant wisdom of Jesus in this passage. And we've pretty much needed a year to adequately walk through it. And we're nearing the end. And one of the things we've been encouraging is that you memorize this passage. I hope you've been doing it. It's not too late yet to do it. You got one more week. You can do it this week if you haven't even started. Three chapters. You can do it. We encourage memorization just as a way to internalize this, to carry it with us wherever we go. But today we're going to look at one verse which captures the whole of the sermon according to Jesus. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 7 and go to verse 12. It's found on page 961 if you'd like to read along. Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is God's word, and today we're going to land and we're going to plant ourselves on that verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We live in a time, in an age of remarkable complexity. Every day we are faced with choices that have increased exponentially over the years. And it's not just the scope or the amount of choices we're faced on making, but the, sometimes the ethical complexity of the choices, the nature of those choices has grown so complex. Science and technology and, and factors and forces like globalization pose such new realities that are so incredibly challenging. It is remarkable. You can't even buy an item, a clothing item from a store without wondering what are the work conditions of the person who made this garment? Were they operating in, you know, Sweatshop conditions, nearly forced labor conditions where they paid a fair wage. Food choices. It's hard to go to a grocery store without, wonder, without thinking through all the complexities of just a choice of food. Was this a genetically modified uh, piece of fruit or vegetable? Was, what's the carbon footprint of bringing this food to my table? It feels like you need an ethical expert simply to help you go to the grocery store sometimes. All these complex possibilities we face every day, it can sometimes generate cynicism or it can just generate despair over doing good, acting justly, living rightly in the world. It seems like the competing moral visions and the multifaceted nature of choices and then our limited human perspective in it all make it so hard for us to choose the good, the right the just in this world. But then even beyond all of these complex matters, 
you know, in my conversations with people, it's, it's the everyday matters that seem to get us the most, that we wrestle with the hardest. How do we do good to those right nearby us? How do we treat those who are our neighbor? How do we do good to the people we encounter every day? We want that sort of wisdom for living, don't we? How do we do good? Well, in one simple sentence, Jesus offers the most brilliant wisdom that liberates you and I to do good, to do well in the world. It's one deceptively simple sentence, and Jesus offers transforming, brilliant wisdom. It really is. He says, so in everything. So he's covering the whole gamut. In everything, whatever you think everything is, your work, your sleep, every part of your living, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's often called the golden rule, right? You've probably heard it by that name. That's what we're going to reflect on today. Now, did you catch how big this is in that little sentence? Jesus says, this sums up the law and the prophets. This one little sentence of 11 words that he just spoke, do to others as you would have them do to you. 11 words, he says, those 11 words sum up, they capture the heart and soul of the revelation of God, the law and the prophets. The Greek text here is a little even more simple. It reads, this is the law and the prophets. This is it. Those 11 words. Remarkable claim, isn't it? We might hear those 11 words, do to others what you would have them do to you, and think, yeah, that's a nice statement. You know, maybe a good Hallmark card or something like that. Maybe an inspirational poster I could put on my office wall somewhere. No, actually, it's bigger than that. This is Jesus saying, this is the wisdom of the world. This is the revelation of God. This one simple sentence sums up the whole revelation of how to live rightly, how to do good, how to live with others. This, Jesus says, sums it all up. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now that little phrase, the law and the prophets, it's important for us to clue in on that. Jesus has used that somewhere else in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember the very beginning. After the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about the type of character of, of God's kingdom, of people who have been changed by the gospel. And then at the front end of that sermon in 5 verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then Jesus unpacks in the rest, the bulk of the Sermon on the Mount, what that law and the prophets, the fulfillment of that looks like. And so he goes in, in, in his teaching, he redefines what is good and just life is like. And he shows us what God's life and kingdom is like. And what happens when the gospel just grabs hold of you and the type of life. And it's the most brilliant teaching in the history of the human race about how you deal with anger, how do you deal with contempt, how do you deal with your words and the promises you make, how do you deal with your sexuality, how do you deal with your stuff, your money, how do you deal with our tendency towards judgmentalism, how do you deal with spiritual practices so that they don't become religiosity. And then, so he's unpacking that all, and then he comes to the end of this, and he says, now I want to summarize everything that I've just talked about in one single sentence that you can take away with you. Here it is. This is the summary of the law and the prophets. And then we have that little phrase again, the law and the prophets. Sort of, the, you got these bookends. 
And in between is the heart and soul of what he's talking about. So he's summing up here. This is why the golden rule is so central to what Jesus said. It's not some nice little saying again. It sums up everything he's been talking about. Jesus is very concerned because people in that day and age, they turned the law and the prophets into legalism. They, they, they turned it into some kind of superficial exterior behavior. You know, if you got check this off, check that off. Yeah, I pleased God. But they missed loving people in it all. They missed the whole point of it. And so he comes to the end of his teaching. And he says, now, again, I want to summarize this whole thing so that everyone here can get it, understand it in the simplest of terms. This is the summary of the Law and the Prophets. And he says, think of all the ways you wish other people would treat you. There it is. You treat other people the same way. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, golden rule, this is all well and good. But seriously, it's hardly original with Jesus, is it? I mean, so many other faiths and philosophers have had some similar statement of wisdom, right? It's, it's not unique to Jesus, is it? Now, it's true that many other teachers... Um, have had made similar sounding statements. And if you examine them, you hear the resonance. For instance, Confucius. When he was asked, is there one word that can serve as a rule, a practice for life? Confucius says, is not reciprocity such a word? So, and then he phrased, do not do to others what you would not wish done to yourself. Stoic philosophers had something almost identical to what Confucius had said. And then there's... The line from the Buddhist hymn of faith, which says, All men tremble at the rod, all men fear death, putting one in the place of others, kill not nor cause to kill. All men tremble at the rod, unto all men life is dear, doing as one would be done by, kill not or cause to kill. Or the Greek philosopher Socrates, another one. He says, What stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. Or the philosopher um, Epictetus. What you avoid suffering yourself, seek not to inflict on others. Or in the Jewish tradition. So you're seeing how wide and broad this is. In the Jewish tradition, when someone asked a rabbi, uh, Rabbi Hillel, if he could summarize the whole teaching of the law while standing on one leg. <laughs> Meaning, keep it brief. Because um, you're going to lose your balance. Rabbi Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, the rest is commentary. <laughs> and then there's the book of Tobit. Tobiah said, what you yourself hate to no one do. So on a quick read, you, you, you think, there's resonance there. Sounds the same as all the others, you know, what Jesus is saying. But is it? Do a little comparison of the two. Confucius, do not do to... Others, what you would not wish done to yourself. Jesus, do to others what you wish them to do to you. That's not the same thing. That's very different. Rabbi Hillel, what's hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Jesus, do what you want others to do to you. Same? Not at all. It's interesting if you look at all the others, the whole golden rule tradition in any other faiths and philosophies, it it's all negative and passive. Don't do this. Don't do what you don't want done to you. It's all negative and passive. And that's not too hard to do, right? It just requires that you do no evil to another. But doing to you what I would have you do to me, 
that's something of a different order. It changes from the negative to the positive, and it changes from the passive to the active. It is, see, see the difference. Jesus' words here is, is about being active and being about doing the positive, the good, and it is brilliantly liberating. In Jesus' day, people were counseled often to go to the sages or the seers or the rabbis to get counsel on how to best live and how to do good. And it's a similar reality in our world today. You know, we live in a culture of experts, of expertise. It's almost the reflexive instinct for us. Whenever we face a problem, whenever we're faced with complexity, we go in search of a competent consultant to guide us, you know, to give us some advice for how to move forward because these complex matters, we're told, are just best left to the experts, right? Well, Jesus breaks us of this bad habit of sending out for an expert every time we feel we need help. And he turns us into the expert. Here's the brilliant liberation of this. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. So you're first supposed to look at yourself. If you ever struggled how to treat a homeless person, if you've ever wondered how to do good to a distant dad, to your work colleague, if you've ever wondered how to treat that homeless guy you see on your walk home every day, to your roommate, to someone here at church, you don't need a consultant, you don't need a theology course, you don't need to go on a prayer retreat to figure this out. Jesus refers all of us who are looking for guidance to do good in this world, in our social and ethical conduct, to at the simplest source, to yourself. Consult your own heart. How do you want to be treated? Jesus doesn't, he makes you the expert on that, on how to treat others by getting us to consult ourselves. It's, it's remarkable. It's brilliant. Listen to what the reformer Martin Luther says about this word. I love it. He says, it's certainly very clever of Christ to state it this way. The only example he sets up is ourselves. You are your own teacher, says Luther. Your own theologian. Your own preacher. Guide yourself by that simple rule and you will be more wise, more learned than all the experts could ever tell you. You see how liberating this is? If you've ever struggled with how you're to act, if you've ever wondered in situations, Jesus offers you the simplest ethical guideline. He doesn't offer a teacher or a law or a book. He simply says, you know how to do good. It's in you. Look at your own heart. How do you want to be treated by others? If you ever struggle to do good, consult your heart. What do I want others to do to me? So think about that. How do you want to be treated by others? What are the things that help you? What are the things that please your heart? What are the things that encourage you? What is it that others do that bring out the best in you? That just make you shine? How do you like to be thought of by others? Or or think of this. How do you want to be corrected by others? Because we're all broken people. We need help and guidance. How How do you want to be corrected. Recently, I had uh, a golden rule moment with my wife, Betty. I'm not sure why, but lately I've been getting a little snippy, or at least she's been noticing, in some family interactions, short with the kids, brusque with her. And she told me how I've been responding irritably lately, how I'm getting really crabby. And I told her that this is just likely more of what she can expect in the future. <laughs> <laughs> It took me a while to process that conversation because pouting is my spiritual gift. And uh, 
So this is how I generally first respond to these gracious conversations my wife has with me. But as I had time to, to process it and realize it, I, I realized she loves me. She's after the best in me, and, and she's demonstrated that golden rule. How would I like it if there was a distinct character flaw in me that needed to be named? Um, how would I like someone to do that? She was helping me find the kind of life I most want to live. I want to flourish as a person. I want to be filled with a greater joy and winsomeness, not, not to have a personality that's crabby and curdled. She was living out the golden rule for me there. Because when you're stuck, when you're not growing as a person, you, you should be. Don't you want someone to come alongside and help you get unstuck? How do you want people to treat you? Ask yourselves, what do you want? How should you treat a child? How would you like to be treated if you were a child? How do you treat someone who lacks access, economic access to make for a good life? Someone who's poor, struggles to make ends meet. How do you do that? Well, if that was you, if you we're stuck in poverty in an economic bind. How would you want to be treated? How should you treat aging parents? How would you want to be treated when you're older? How should we treat immigrants? How would you want to be treated if it was you in another country where you didn't know the language, the culture? How would you want to be treated then? How should we treat AIDS victims? How would you want to be treated if you had that? There's a saying, I'm not sure where it came from. It says, before you judge another, walk a mile in their shoes. And again, maybe people think that's what Jesus is talking about here. But the problem with that advice is you're a mile away from the other person and you have their shoes. And the golden rule even liberates us from that thing, right? Because it says you don't even have to walk the mile. Simply check your own heart. Check your own interests. What are you interested in? And go do that. Act along those lines. And I bet some of us, as we hear that, think, oh, Jesus, isn't that a little self-oriented, a little self-absorbed? Isn't, isn't the problem that we're, we're going to be turned totally inwards? But here's the brilliant wisdom of this saying. The first move absolutely is to look inward, to look at yourself, to consult your own interests. But it's always oriented towards the other. What do you want from others that they would do to you. And then he moves us away from narcissism. He moves us outward. He moves us to get active by saying, do that. Actively pursue that for others now. Here's the liberating brilliance of Jesus' words. When you consider your own interests and, and turn to another out of those interests, we are delivered from our own interests. Delivered from narcissism. My brother-in-law has been diagnosed last Jan this past January with a stage 4 liver cancer. Not a good diagnosis. And as he and his family has been going through this all, I know they need care. But life is busy. And uh, I got a lot going on. Busy family, kids, the demands of leading Knox here. I know they really like it when, you know, they just get a simple text or an email or a phone call letting them know what I'm thinking is I'm praying for them. But Got to admit, some days it's hard to find the energy, the attention to do that. 
But when I consult my own heart, when I think of my interests, when I ask, okay, if I had cancer, if I was in that space, how would I want others to treat me and my family? I think I'd love to get a call. I'd love to know someone else is thinking about me, praying for me. And as soon as I realize that, it's like I'm liberated from myself, right? I'm liberated from my own narcissistic views on myself. And I'm free to act in love and service to others. Because you're no longer looking inward, but you're outward in servant love. It's that simple. It's that brilliant. I don't want to make this any more complex than it is. You know, sometimes we gather here on Sundays and we wrestle with Scripture. And there's a lot of complexity to some of the things Scripture talks about. And sometimes our messages wade into some big theology. This is not one of those messages, okay? These words of Jesus are as simple as simple can be. Nobody's going to walk out of here wondering, scratching their head, thinking, now, what was that about? No, this is about the golden rule. Just the golden rule. So what I want to do is, is focus on how we can live this out. Because it's all clear what Jesus calls us to do. How do we live this out? Because don't you think if we lived out this golden rule, if this is again is the sum, Jesus says, of everything the law and the prophets taught. This is the sum of biblical right living. If we would live this out, wouldn't we become the people of God that God always imagined for his church? I mean, there's such a beautiful, deep humanism here in these words of Jesus. This is what God has always intended his church, his people to be out, to be this gracious, non-judgmental, generous, peaceful, loving witness in all they do. Oh man, other people, our city would flourish when we live this out. And so I want to challenge you with, with a simple practice. We're going to keep it contained, but for this whole week, okay, Every interaction, every person you encounter for this whole week, can you look through the lens of the golden rule? Look at everyone you meet through this. Live with golden rule eyes this week. So here's the idea. In every interaction you have, in any, whenever you go to a coffee shop, at your school, at, with a housemate or a spouse or your family, today perhaps with somebody after church, when you go to work, Look at people with this golden rule in mind, with people in your neighborhood, um, people you run into at a restaurant, the clerk who serves you at the grocery store, people who are older, people who are younger, people who are richer or poor, people who are well-educated, people who are not. Don't, don't, don't respond with the very easy default posture of our heart, which is me-centered, right? The autopilot that always talks about my hopes, my dreams, Everyone else is a sort of a bit player in my big movie here. No, 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 don't do that. Okay, instead, instead, just pause. Take note of the other person. Pay attention to them. Take a moment to think about them. What, what's their story? What's going on here? What's her dream? What's his biggest fear? What are they frightened of? What are they most hopeful for? What's holding them back? Where are they hurting? And then think, if I was in that person's shoes, what would I like done to me? And then just allow the Holy Spirit to suggest, to nudge, to have a golden rule moment. So all of a sudden the focus becomes off of you. And it's not about how, uh, how you are, other people are treating you. But again, you're nudged towards how are you going to treat that other person now? All week. It's a contained thing. Let's talk about it next Sunday. Let's share some experience. But 
every interaction. Can you just sort of imprint this on your mind for this coming week? Live this out with every person in every situation and every encounter. How can I do for them what I would really like them to do for me? And it might feel like, oh man, that's a big sacrifice, right? It can feel even a little scary because when you're putting the other person first, that feels a little frightening. But here's the deal. You are going to end up with more joy and more friendship than you know what to do with because this is how God himself lives all the time. In the golden rule, Jesus is simply inviting us to live out what God experiences from eternity. To experience the life of God. Remember, Jesus is teaching here about the life of God's kingdom. And at the center of God's kingdom, at the center of the universe, is God. This community of Father, Son, and Spirit. A triune God is not marked by self-absorption. A triune God, the life of God, is marked by this mutual self-giving love. Where Father, Son, and Spirit are always thinking about the other. How might they serve and love and bless and cause delight in the other. It's this beautiful dance of three persons. Each surrounding one another in love and joy and delight. God is the most joyful being in the universe. Because of this orientation, not on self, but on others. And, and this way of giving ourselves to another, of looking to serve others is simply the way God lives. This is who God is. The cross of Christ, it's the clearest example of this, isn't it? People often ask, why did Jesus die? It wasn't to get anything. Jesus had everything. He had the full friendship and glory and delight of the Father and the Son. He had this community of love and glory and, and joy. He didn't get any benefit from dying on the cross. In dying on the cross, Jesus was doing what God has done for an eternity. He was giving himself for the sake of another, for us, for you and me. He was centering his being on you and I, loving us selflessly, giving himself for us. This is what God has lived in from eternity and what he invites you and I to enjoy right now. So this week, this week, can you do that? Can you step into God's way of life and be a part of making this world flourish by living out this golden rule? Everywhere you go, with everyone you meet, See them through the lens of this brilliant, liberating wisdom. And let me start here and now. When I think about you and this golden rule right now, I think, if I was you, I would want this sermon to be done. So let's be done and let's pray. Join me in prayer. <laughs> Join me in prayer, would you? Father, we want to thank you first of all and want to say with a profound sense of gratitude how thankful we are for Jesus, for this, this wonderful Savior, this man Jesus, who, who said one day, you want to see what a golden rule looks like? Look at my life. And he lived it. Thank you for Jesus, how through his death he lived this life that you have experienced from eternity. And how... In his death, it is the self-giving love that gives us life, that forgives our sins. Thank you for Jesus for showing us what this kingdom looks like. And we pray, we pray, please give us the strength, the resources to live this kind of life. Keep us so focused in on a cross, not because it's a morbid thing to do, but because in the cross we see this selfless love so clearly demonstrated and displayed. God, we think of this week ahead. And as we think of this, the people we're going to run into this week, would you keep opening up ourselves 
to you as best we can. Would you keep opening up our heart to your self-giving love? Keep reminding us, Holy Spirit. Keep nudging us that this self-giving love is the dynamic at the heart of the universe. Keep bringing us back to our awareness to live this kingdom life, to see everyone through the brilliant wisdom of the golden rule. God, thank you for this sweet invitation to this kind of life. You know how easily our focus, our thoughts slip back to us, to this self-focus, to get completely absorbed in ourselves, how we're treated, how we have little losses and little hurts. It all becomes about us. But God, keep us the golden rule before us. Help us to have that kind of love that Jesus had. We ask and pray this in his beautiful name. Amen.